Welcome to Tracks Through Time. I am your host and FreightWaves Deputy Editor, Brielle Jekyll, and I'm here to tell you some of uh, the most interesting stories throughout history in transportation and freight, like always. And I am here with Mary O'Connell, a fellow FreightWaves TV host, as usual. And today we are talking airmail, a much different version of the way we ship mail through the air today but one that played a really pivotal role in the development of commercial aviation. Mary, do you know anything about this? Um, So per usual, we are going to have story time with Brielle and she's going to educate me on it. Um, I The only thing I know about airmail is like sometimes the post office puts things on an airplane um, and it, it, it goes across the country that way. Um, and then obviously like, you know, cargo shipping. Um, but yeah, I don't know much. And the approximately 30 seconds of Googling that I did when you told me that we were going to talk about airmail, um, there, I looked at some pictures because, you know, pictures tell a story. Um, and I am honestly very curious about what this is because some of the pictures I saw are truly and insanely wild and cannot be real. Yeah, I I was really interested in this topic because it's like one of those wild, you know, things of the past. Like I wrote an article about like this this pneumonic tube system that went through New York and that's how the mail was delivered in the city back then uh, for like a very short period of time. And this is very similar to that. It's like a short. Well, actually, not. it was a couple decades, but uh, a very strange way um, compared to today. Um, way of delivering the mail. But yeah, like I said, it was really important in the development of commercial aviation. And because it's so weird and obscured, I really hadn't heard of this either until I took a deep dive. Like I love going through the I get a lot of my story ideas by going through like archives of like companies and the postal service. And I found this in the postal service archives, which is where we got all our information for today. Um, I have but a question, yeah. though. Do you think Go. that the guys that delivered via airmail back in the day, do you think that they still got barked at by dogs like our mailman do today? I mean, I live by a base and my dogs bark at the planes a lot. So so it's, it's probably likely because like if my dogs hear the mail truck, they will immediately start barking because even though the postman never leaves the truck it still is an intruder. So I'm curious as to what dogs of like yesteryear did. Well, to the, to the my nice dogs literally man. bark at anything possible. Yeah. Any possible movement outside of my house, my dogs are barking at. So yeah. I'm sure they would have terrorized these poor guys <laughs> back then. <laughs> and, um, you know, they'll probably end up terrorizing us throughout this podcast <laughs> at some point <laughs> that we'll have to edit out. <laughs> but, all right. We are going to start by going back to 1918, a time when airplanes were still a novel invention. And the idea of delivering mail by air seemed like a daring dream. And pilots of that era flew in open cockpits, so they braved all kinds of weather conditions in planes that were described as, and I quote, a nervous collection of whistling wires of linen stretched over wooden ribs, all attached to a wheezy water-cooled engine. I mean, when I'm thinking about something that's going to keep me up in the air, I love that it resembles something of an asthmatic. 10 yeah, out of 10. And, and just the thought of piloting a plane yourself in 1918, you know, is just 
wonderful sold sign me up because i also probably won't have a helmet either so you know let's just let's just get in it and see what happens so as you know we've made clear the risks were pretty high and pilots had to navigate using landmarks on the ground so you know not in the navigational systems that we have today so they're looking for you know that clock tower that house that building and then you make a right like it's like driving directions but in the air in an airplane with an open cockpit um so in fog they they flew blind um in unpredictable weather unreliable equipment and inexperience uh, often led to frequent crashes and tragically 34 air male pilots lost their lives between 1918 and 1927 that's that's a long period of time it's almost 10 years and that's like it's not great that that many people died but i'm honestly surprised that it's not a little bit higher just because of how ridiculous this whole like dangerous thing this all is i mean you know i i think of like even truck driving to be almost like a dangerous job because like you know accidents happen and they're really common and you know and you know we appreciate our truck drivers but boy was this even even more risky and, you know, just to deliver the mail. But through through trial and error and personal sacrifice, U.S. Air Mail Service employees really developed uh, re- reliable navigation aids and safety features for planes and pilots. They demonstrated that flight schedules could be safely maintained in all kinds of weather and even ventured into the realm of night flying, proving that it was possible. Night was, flying? Like, yep. W- no. Okay. All right, cool. Carry on. Once the post office department had proven the viability of commercial flight, airmail service was turned over to private carriers flying under the contract with uh, flying under contract with the department. So in those early days before passenger service revenue. So keep in mind, this is back before you're flying for, you know, as a passenger. This is, you know, only utility. So revenue from airmail contracts, uh, they sustained commercial airlines. And the journey of airmail began even earlier than most people would think. In 1910, Representative Morris Shepard of Texas introduced a bill to investigate the feasibility of an airplane or airship mail route. So they started investigating this idea back in 1910. And unfortunately, the bill didn't make it past the committee and many considered it to be a fanciful dream, you know, out- outrageous. Uh, but Postmaster General Frank Hitchcock, who served from 1909 to 1913, was one of the early advocates of using airplanes for mail tra- transportation. In November 1910, an aviation at an aviation meet in Baltimore, thousands of specters spectators cheered as Hitchcock flew as a passenger in a monoplane. Fast forward to September 1911, when Hitchcock authorized the first official U.S. mail flights during an aviation meet in Long Island, New York. Eight pilots were sworn in as airplane uh, mail carriers, and aviator Earl Ovington had the honor of piloting the first historic flight. They dropped mailbags from the plane to the ground where they were picked up by local postmasters. And these experimental flights paved the way for the department to urge Congress to appropriate money to launch uh, air mail service. And then in 1916, Congress finally authorized $50,000 for air, air mail experiments. 
The department advertised for bids, but they received no acceptable responses. Then in 1917, Congress allocated $100,000 to establish experimental air air service for the next fiscal year. And uh, the post office advertised for bids for airplanes in February 1918. But shortly after, they decided to collaborate with the Army Signal Corps to operate the airmail service. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. What I want to know is what do those airmail uh, experiments look like? <laughs> right. Like, you know, they they want these experiments, but like, obviously, you know, now we have the planes and the materials and everything that we have now. But what were those early experiments? What, what were what were they? What were they like? Yeah. I think I have some photos of them that I'll probably share on Twitter um, or on Freight Waves Classics um, or or maybe we can show them here. But yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty wild stuff. <laughs> Um, so it was a significant milestone um, when they scheduled the airmail service between New York and Washington, D.C. on May 15th, 1918. This marked an important moment in the history of commercial aviation. Uh, simultaneous takeoffs were made from Washington's Polo Grounds and Belmont Park in Long Island v- via Philadelphia. Um, these early plane mails had no reliable instruments or radios. Pilots relied on landmarks, like I said before, and dead reckoning for navigation. Forced landings due to bad weather were common, but thanks to the small size and maneuverability of the planes, fatalities were relatively rare, except for those 34. (laughs) So it it wasn't as bad as it could have been, is essentially what we're saying. and the evolution of airmail rates also played a crucial role in its success. Initially set at 24 cents per ounce, including special delivery, the rate was later lowered to 16 cents and then 6 cents without special delivery. The public was initially hesitant to use this more expensive service as it was only a few hours quicker than regular mail service by train. In fact, airmail bags often contained as much as regular mail as uh, airmail. Um, so to enhance delivery times and encourage the public to use airmail, the department planned a transcontinental air route from New York to San Francisco. The first leg of the route was open in 1919, connecting New York to Cleveland and Chicago with several steps along the way, stops along the way. Then by 1920, the last transcontinental segment was completed, connecting Omaha to San Francisco via various cities. And although the mail was carried on trains at night and flown by day initially, the service was still 22 hours faster than an all-rail alternative. So that's pretty cool. They were making strides finally. Hey, a whole day is a big improvement. A big, big improvement. In in 1920, yeah. That's like internet speeds now. (laughs) So in August 1920, the department began installing radio stations at each airfield to provide pilots with current weather information. And by November, 10 stations were operating, including two Navy stations. 
The radios were also used by other government departments for special messages, weather forecasts, and stock market reports. And night flying became another major advancement in airmail service to demonstrate its feasibility. Uh, the department organized a through flight from San Francisco to New York on February 22nd, 1921. This historic flight marked the first time that mail was flown both day and night over the entire distance, despite challenging winter weather. So it was probably not smart to do it in that time of year. I cannot um, imagine the difficulties because it's not like you're in an insulated plane. Like when we fly in the middle of December, you know, it, we, 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 it's like we're in a little temperature controlled cabin. That's not right. really the case back in the day with the asthmatic pilling instructions and the the sheets holding you in like i know they can't fly very high but still that had to be so cold that i don't even want to try and be that guy going by night being like was that the right light or was that the right light the open air cockpit and you know the the, having to navigate by sight it's just like so hard to comprehend for me Um, i can barely drive you know (laughs) The success of this flight impressed Congress, leading to increased funding and expansion of airmail service. To prepare for night flying, the department equipped its planes with luminescent instruments, navigational lights, and parachute flares. So in 1923, the department began building a lighted airway along the transcontinental route to guide pilots at night. So a little safer than just kind of winging it. (laughs) The first section was completed The first section that was completed was from Chicago to Cheyenne, spanning 885 miles. Emergency landing fields were created every 25 miles, marked by towering beacons, flashing gas beacons, etc. And they not only guided airmail pilots, but they also helped for other aviators um, flying through the route. The development of these lighted airways and the establishment of emergency landing fields really improved the safety and reliability of the airmail service. Pilots were now able to to easily navigate at night. And it was really, um, it it kind of all came out because of a true testament to determination and innovation for those involved. They really wanted this to work. Um, And the dedication to this progress did not go unnoticed. In 1922 and 1923, the department received the Collier Trophy for significant contributions to the development of aeronautics, particularly in the realm of safety and the feasibility of night flights. And this expansion, um, the expansion of the lighted airway continued reaching Cleveland to the east and Rock Springs, Wyoming to the west in 1924. By 1925, it stretched from New York to Salt Lake City, and this allowed for regular cross-country through service, including night flying, like I said, which began on July 1st, 1924. And in 1926, the transcontinental trip from New York to San Francisco involved 15 stops for service and the exchange of mail. The journey included stops at cities like Cleveland, Chicago, Omaha, Cheyenne, Salt Lake City, and Reno. These early routes were a far cry from today's direct flights, and they required several aircraft changes en route. So Charles Stanton, an early airmail pilot and airmail division superintendent, reflected on those early days um, in his writings and remarked that we planted four seeds Uh, airways, communications, navigation, aids, and multi-engined aircraft. 
And while not all these concepts were fully realized at the time, they really truly laid the foundation for the modern aviation industry today. So all of this stuff that we, you know, that they're doing to help um, deliver the mail faster and and provide these new innovative innovative ways for mail delivery actually kind of changed more of the aviation industry than anything. Um, so this really, really laid the foundation for the modern air uh, industry that we have today. Because um, well, I know that even now they have like the the like when you're talking about the like the light beacons and everything right. on the aircraft, you know, it reminds me of, you know, sitting out my backyard and seeing the airplanes and then also the sticks and um, the lighted fields and the lighted runways that we have now. It's um, and the place to land every so many feet for an emergency. It, it really is something that we still use today. But one of the things that you mentioned when you were talking about switching aircrafts, um, could you imagine what happens if you lost a piece of mail? It's not just like, oh, it's lost at like a warehouse somewhere. That is like, it could be like in a farmer's field in Kansas. Exactly. I'm just imagining like mail <laughs> floating through the sky, like you're just walking your dog and you're like, got some personal letter here. You're just Way getting attacked like Harry Potter. <laughs> like, yeah, right. My neighbors always get my mail all the time, but I can't imagine like just walking through and like finding random mail flying in the air. It's the magic mail tree. <laughs> yeah. But uh, now we've reached a turning point. So on February 2nd, my brother's birthday and Groundhog's Day, uh, 1925, Congress authorized the Postmaster General to contract for air mail service. And the post office department immediately invited bids from the commercial aviation companies. And the first commercial air mail flight in the U.S. took place on February 15th, 1926. And by the end of 1926, 11 out of 12 contracted air mail routes were operational. And as commercial airlines took over the air mail service, the department transferred its lights, its airways, its radio service, all to the Department of Commerce. Uh, terminal airports and the exception of government properties, in, or with the exception of government properties in Chicago, Omaha, and San Francisco, they were handed over to the mis- municipalities in which they were located. And so this trans- transition represented the ongoing commercialization of aviation and marked the beginning of a new era in airmail. So this is really where modern aviation is is taking off. Um, and that's when it kind of changed to the modern um, modern system that we know today. But that marked the end of kind of the weird weirdness. Um, there's a lot other like it, there's a whole new generation after this um, that I think I'm going to cover in a classics article coming up. But that marks the end of the beginning of airmail in the U.S. I absolutely love that. I did not know that it was um, that went back that far. I mean, you know, it's it sounds like it's it's set up quite pretty much the entire air industry as we know today. I know it's absolutely crazy just that, um, you know, the way like I said, the way mail is handled is completely different now. But uh, yeah, back then, uh, the aviation industry really got its start by just delivering sacks of mail and open air cargo. (laughs) I mean, you know, it got to start somewhere. You got to walk before you can crawl or crawl before you can walk. That's true. 
Um, do you have any fun facts for us today, Mary? Brielle, you know I have fun facts. And um, fun fact, uh, the first aerial flight of a uh, male that had some mail on it was technically in the United States. I'm, a, I'm just going to put a big technicality on this because it was like a one-off shoot. Um, it was the definition of let's just see what happens. And um, this man, uh, Pierre Blanchard, got in a hot air balloon on January 9th of 1793, which I didn't even know air balloons were like around then um right but he hopped in a little air balloon um from philadelphia uh and carried a personal letter from george washington to be delivered to the owner of whatever property he happened to land on oh my god so, just to see you know just to see <laughs> So that was technically, that was technically the first like recorded air mail that happened. Right. Um, just basically get in the air and fly. Get in the air and fly. <laughs> but also, could you imagine like if you're sitting there in like 1793 and this balloon just comes over your property and you, and also the guy in the balloon, how you gotta be like, this is from the president. I, I, that go. was the first thing I thought of, just sitting here and being like, uh-oh, hi! <laughs> like, I'm not an intruder. I'm just someone delivering something for George Washington. I think and back then I would be like, the aliens are dead. Exactly. But also then, um, you know, how do you deal with like, okay, you get there. How do you get back? Like, because obviously right. you had to land your hot air balloon for some reason. So, um, yeah, so that was that. Um, and then there's also another balloon situation that happened in 1859 that was from Lafayette, Indiana to, uh, New York. Um, but the guy didn't, didn't make it out of Indiana because of weather issues. So, you know, but as a result, that's why there's so many hot air balloons on stamps and basically all of the early inventions and the early, like, let's just see what happens is part of like the collector series and a lot of the inspiration for some of the stamps that we see on our postage today, or at least we've seen over the years. I think we need to do a deep dive into a uh, hot air balloon delivery soon. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to do one on postage stamps. Maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll teach you about postage stamps. I think you should. Cause I mean, I get those every, I get press releases all the time. I'm like, Oh, news from the U S post solicitor. Oh, wait, it's just a new stamp. <laughs> um, oh, but I will just close out today with um, just like a little summary of how it ended. So the main reason why this was different, um, because you could like order airmail, like, you know, it was a, it was a first class postage, you know, version, um, but it fully came to an end in 1977. And that's when we transitioned to completely modern um, uh, practices. Um, so basically, uh, the postal service announced that the first class postage, um, which was three cents cheaper would buy the same or better level of service. Uh, and by then the, um, transportation patterns had changed and most first class letters were already zipping across country through like airplanes and airmail as a separate class of international mail ended on May 14th in 2007, actually. <laughs> 
Um, so, uh, when rates, uh, for the international transportation of mail by surface methods were eliminated. Um, yeah. So, and that's all we have for today. Well, I appreciate it. All right. Well, I mean, I can, I can go on forever for fun facts, but I don't think anyone really wants to listen to like three hours of me rambling about. I know. I'm sorry. I cut you short because I noticed the time and I wanted to just get that last. It's all right. I appreciate it. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I am happy to learn and, um, Definitely check out some of the pictures for this one because it's it's insane. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Insane. All right. Well, that marks the t- the end of today's episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Riel to see what else we have going on at Freight Waves Classics. And you can email me at bjacob at freightwaves.com. Also, give Mary, why don't you give out your Twitter? <laughs> give Mary a if follow. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Mary O underscore 119. You can also okay. subscribe to my newsletters on freightwaves.com slash subscribe or slash chat call or running on ice. You name it. You're going to find me on it. All right. And tune in two weeks uh, for our next episode on Freight Waves TV or listen to the show wherever you get your podcast.